Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, Reveal, we are another week closer to uh, moving into our new space, the great Reveal migration where we pack up all of our stuff and we head a couple miles to the east and uh, I've been talking about the extraordinary church, the extraordinary church. And we've been challenging ourselves and inviting the Holy Spirit to challenge us, to prepare us, to sharpen us that we would be the extraordinary church that he wants us to be as we make a step uh, into our future into our first permanent uh, building. And so today I want to continue that topic with the Extraordinary Church. Next week for the Super Bowl we'll start a new uh, series, but today I want to talk out of the book of James, and my sermon title today is called Make Us One. Join me just as we pray. Lord, just uh, have your way in us, and Spirit of God, move in us, and speak over us your truth. We invite you to rest here, to be present here, or let your, the truth of your word come forth and let it penetrate our hearts, let it resonate within us, have your way in pointing us in the way that we should go. And I pray that you would speak words of love and mercy and affirmation and words of acceptance over us. That you are not seeking to push us away, but you desire to pull us in. And so we give our time to you to speak to us now through your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in the book of James. If you've never read the book of James, you'll be unfamiliar with his writing style. And let's just say that James was not uh, campaigning for most popular author in the Bible. James is direct He's up front, he's in your face, he's personal and hard-hitting. He asks the questions, how well do your actions mirror the faith that you claim to have? Now, who was James? James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, if you think that you had a difficult time living in the shadow of your older sibling, imagine what it was like for James to be in the shadow of Jesus. Anybody have an older sibling that's just kind of golden? Everything they do, they succeed. Straight A's, mom's favorite. Moms wouldn't say that, but we know. You know, straight A's, captain of the football team. I was reminiscing this, reminiscing this week. And, uh, you know, growing up, uh, I was captain of our football team. I was voted most likely to succeed. I was prom king uh, my senior year. Not bad for homeschooling. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> there wasn't much competition in this. <laughs> Interesting about James is that he did not even believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Uh, We see in uh, John, the Gospel of John, where he says that even his own brothers did not believe. And so, I mean, I don't know how much you you can blame James at this point. I mean, to believe that your older brother is God. I mean, older siblings tell us they are, but to believe that he's God, he kind of had this block there. And he didn't believe. I would assume that like any younger sibling, at some point he looked at his older brother and thought, I can take you, right? Because that's what we did. I remember I was 13. Puberty in full effect. Stood up to my 16-year-old brother. I was tired of being tortured. 
And he mouthed off to me, and I remember it. I stood up. We had these beanbags. I got out of the beanbag, and I stood up, and I was like, you got something to say? Now, the next 30 seconds are rather hazy. <laughs> but I woke up naked in a bathtub. That's all I remember about that. And so James struggles to believe, you know, but then 1 Corinthians 15, it says something happened. And it says that after the resurrection, right, three days dead, resurrection, Jesus appears to James. Now, when your big brother comes back from the dead after three days, there's no denying it, right? He's God. And so something happened in James, and he went from somebody who wasn't even sure to being one of the uh, foundational leaders in the early church. And so uh, if you read through his letter, it is straightforward, it's direct, it's in your face. It's kind of this stop playing around letter. I wonder uh, if it was because James knew what it was like to be close to Jesus and yet still not really get who he was, really not fully embrace the truth of his deity. And so James is, is hard hitting. So we're going to be in James chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a smart device, uh, I'd encourage you to, to open it. And uh, we're going to be in James chapter 2. James says, my brothers and sisters. Now you should know right now James is kind of buttering them up and he's setting them up for something. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So he's setting them up and he's about to give them an if-then statement. He said, if you believe in our glorious Savior Jesus Christ, then something should happen. Here's what he says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe, then you must not show favoritism. If you believe, then you must not show favoritism. Now, there's something we can learn here. One thing that I love about the Bible is it is, it is every bit as applicable today as it was when it was written. Uh, we do need to remember it was what's known as an occasional document. It was written for a sp- at a specific time to a specific people uh, for a specific reason, but that truth carries over. So we, we need to do some interpreting on how all that plugs in today, but uh, it, it applies to us. And so there's something we can learn today uh, as we are getting ready to make our move. And then James talking about favoritism. Now here's how we'll define favoritism. Choosing to prefer some people over others based upon my personal preference, prejudice, or how they benefit me. James says, if you're believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then stop choosing to prefer some people over others based upon your personal preference, your prejudice, or how they might benefit you. Right? He's like, why are you giving preference to some and pushing others to the margin, and here's the kicker, why is it happening in the church? Because he's writing to believers. Why is this taking place in the, the, the church, the house of God, so to speak? And then so he sets them up, believers in our glorious Lord. He's reminding them that you've been accepted by God and embraced into his family saying you're now believers in our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus, in spite of your dysfunction, in spite of all of your broken promises and the junk you've accumulated and all the times that you failed, God embraced you and gave you not judgment, but instead gave you mercy. Here's what he's saying. And yet now you have the audacity to turn around and reject others based upon the very thing that you would not want God to hold against you. James is like, what's going on in the church? Now, for as many things as the early church did wrong, 
They had struggles, right? Just as we today have struggles. We're human. We get sideways. And James is brings, bringing some instruction. He's saying, here's the reason why you're doing this. Because you have higher standards than God. What would it be like if God accepted us as we accept others? What would it be like if God only accepted people with a certain IQ or a certain amount of money or came from a certain part of town or, uh, uh, or a certain skin color? What if he rejected people that make too much money? What if he rejected the single mom or those with a, a past that is too stained? What if God snubbed white people or black people or brown people or those with a limited education? James is making his case. God has accepted you into his family, believers now, but you have split and segmented yourself up in his church into categories that God neither recognizes nor approves. And the reason why you've done that is because your standards are higher than God's. Now in the next several verses, James sets up a simple test, an assessment of sorts uh, that helps us evaluate our hearts. And he tells a story of two different people that come into a meeting, a church meeting, Uh, one who is rich and the other who is poor, one uh, who is affluent, travels in all the right circles, uh, and the other who has just enough to skate by, just enough to survive. And instead of just unpacking these verses, I kind of want to put it into a modern context, bring it into 2017, uh, maybe a little bit more current, and something that may hit a little closer to home. So I want you to imagine that you're hosting a dinner party for your regroup, your community group. And you've sent out invitations to everyone in your group, and you've asked them to invite somebody who does not attend the church, nor do they attend your group. So the invitations have gone out, and you're expecting your group, but you're also expecting people who your group invited. Now for you personally, let's say it's been a rough month for you. You just recently lost your job, laid off from a successful sales position, and you're looking forward to the distraction of what tonight would bring. So after some small talk and the veggie trays are passed, everyone begins to gather and begins to make their way into the formal dining room where the, the table has been extended and, and it's, it's laid out and the, the main table is ready. And then there are smaller card tables set around the dining room for the children. One of your group members has agreed to say a prayer and to give a short devotion And just before they start, you notice through the window that two cars pull up, but they're not regular members. They are some of the invited guests. One of the cars is a shiny 2017 SL450 Mercedes, about $100,000. And the other car is a 2002 paint-faded, right fender dented uh, uh, Dodge Caravan with the always popular simulated wood grain that's peeling off because all that wood grain is peeling off. As, as the one family gives out, they are dressed head to toe in the finest of clothes, Louis Vuitton and, and the sparkle from his Rolex, just, it sparkles in the streetlight. And the other family is getting out wearing clothing off the discount rack at Goodwill, children in tow who appear to be rather dirty. And as the couple approaches the door, you realize that the affluent couple is actually the owner of a medical supply uh, company who was your biggest competitor. And now that you are unemployed, you've been trying to get an interview with this company, and now the owner of that company is at your house for a dinner. And so you greet both couples at the door, you introduce yourself, you take them into the main dining room, and where you realize that there's only 
two seats left at the main table. Your wife has a seat, she has your seat that's ready, and then there's only two other seats. Everybody's already been crunched in as far as they could go, and you have a decision to make. Who do you sit at the main table? And who do you put at a secondary card table? And you know for sure that you're not going to miss this opportunity because you're unemployed now, not going to miss the opportunity for career advancement. And so without a, a split second of thinking, you start to show your future boss to the main table, at the head of the table. And as you begin to seat him, the member of your group begins their devotional. And he reads from James chapter 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and, says, and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit on the floor by my feet. I want you to put yourself in this situation. James is defining what it means to show favoritism in the church, right? We defined uh, favoritism as uh, choosing to prefer someone over others based upon personal preference, prejudice, or how they benefit you. And James begins to unpack it. One couple obviously feels second class every day. Everywhere they go, it's become a normal part of life. The one couple is affluent. They get the best seats in every restaurant. They fly first class. They're at the best tables. First class in everything. So what would you do? I'm going to let you kind of finish that story and let it play out. James continues his thought in verse 4. He says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now catch the phrase, discriminated among yourselves. Catch that phrase. In other words, he's saying, you have in fact cut off a member of your own body. You've done it to yourself. It would be like me saying, I I love my left arm, but I hate my right arm. He said, you have discriminated, but because this is the body, this is the church, you've discriminated among your own being. You've you've, you've harmed yourself is what he's saying. Here's what he means. He's saying, God has gone through great lengths to bring the church together and level the playing field. Right? We see that. I spoke about that uh, the end of last year, Colossians 3, where it says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or if you're Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbaric or uncivilized or slave or free. It's like none of that matters anymore. It's just Jesus, Christ, is all that matters, and he now lives in us, meaning... We're all one. Now, I love the way Paul puts it. I'm going to preach on this coming up, I think, in March, and we'll break this down even more. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now catch this. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier... The dividing wall of hostility. In other words, there were two groups. There was the Jew, there was the Gentile, and they were in direct opposition. 
They didn't like each other. They didn't communicate. Jews looked down their nose at, at, at the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles were broken up even into further classes. But here's the kicker, what Paul says in verse 15. His, Jesus, purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. In other words, you get this idea that part of what Jesus was doing was to create a new race of people who no longer divided themselves up by race or education or whatever else we use to create dividing lines, but instead on the cross he reached to every polar opposite and pulled them in together to create a new humanity. We are that humanity. Reading a book right now on uh, the multi-ethnic church, one of the statements that jumped out at me was they said, it has long been known that the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday is the most racially divided hour in America. Think about that. Because there's black churches and there's Hispanic churches and there's white churches and there's that church and there's this church. And, and they, they, they made this case that, that the most segregated, racially divided hour in all of America within the church. And Paul is saying, here, look, Jesus desired to create a new humanity that is the church, where there's no longer racial divides or economic divides or gender divides or whatever else that would look like, that, that he, he leveled the playing field for us. And, and what James is start, starting to get at here is that you've discriminated and you've harmed yourself. You've discriminated among your own body. In other words, he's saying, after all the work of reconciliation that Jesus has done, you, in your arrogance and in your pride, step in and dismantle what God assembled. Because you're showing favoritism. Some are coming in, and some you're pushing out. And you've chopped yourself up into categories that God does not recognize. Rich, poor, black, white, do's, don'ts, Jews, Gentiles, Republicans, Democrats, worthy, unworthy, homeschooler, against homeschooling, like whatever it is, you've segmented yourself into subgroups that God does not value or recognize. But then James goes on, he says, hey, it's worse than you thought. That you, 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 you've chopped yourself up. It's, this just isn't a case of you preferring one person over the other because you have something in common with them. He said, but you've actually become a judge. He's talking to the church. You've become a judge with evil thoughts. In other words, you look around and you gather the evidence, evidence, and then you label Rich, poor, lazy, cheap, slutty, liar, conservative, liberal, up-and-coming, down-and-outer. And you put labels upon them, and James says, and it's happening in the church. He's like, what's happening? James goes on to tell us what and who God really values. In other words, he says that if Jesus was here... There is a person that Jesus would call to the front of the room and, and say, I, I just need to recognize this person. It says it in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers. 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? What, what James is saying, it's funny because it, you know, it's almost 2,000 years ago and the very thing that they struggle with is the very thing we struggle with. What he's saying is your culture values and honors the wrong thing. He says, you honor the rich and you disgrace the poor. Listen. But God gives recognition to the faith of the poor. This is my thought. Maybe because he knows it's difficult to maintain faith in a good God when life is not all that good. Maybe God knows that it's difficult to maintain faith in a good God when life is falling apart and everything seems to be going against you. And and James like, look... These are the people who are in difficult situations that Jesus kind of recognizes. Isn't that what the Beatitudes were about, Sermon on the Mount? He said, hey, blessed are the persecuted and the meek and those who mourn and those poor in spirit. That God looks on and he applauds those whose faith is strong even when life is weak. James says, you got it backwards right now. You're showing favoritism and you've excluded those who God says... These people can teach you something. His letter rings true for us today. And let's just be honest. His words are as indicting today as they were 2,000 years ago. God is asking the church today, what are you doing? Who told you that favoritism was okay in my church and that you chop and dice my image bearers into subgroups based on economic status or education or you divide based on outward appearance I'm going to step on some toes here so just brace yourselves or you elevate yourself and you relegate others based upon an accent or citizenship In my church. I don't need to know your political views. But there comes a point. Remember we're seekers of truth, right? It's one of the hills we die on. There comes a point when this is elevated above political views or whatever else view that we have. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to talk a lot more on this in March, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of specifically where I stand on some things. It may surprise some of you. Some of you may like, oh, I stand there as well. I'm a, a both-and type person. But James is, is asking, what, what is happening right now? You're giving preferential treatment based upon a political party? What? God is reminding us that, hey, you were dying in your sins. All of the things that you've done wrong. Let's just say me. All of the things I've done wrong. All the broken promises. All the lies. All the moral failings. All the things that I never want anyone to know about. And God says, yet Marty, I forgave you. And then come Sunday during the time when you're supposed to be worshiping me, you're making distinctions about such things as fashion, tattoos, school, money, ethnicity, immigration status, accent. All of those things where God says, it just really doesn't matter to me. Because I've pulled 
everyone in together to form a new humanity that functions as my church. And when that happens, people have to notice, right? That's what Jesus says, that people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's just not love in, in, in word. But that's love in our actions and in our deeds. He says, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you cannot show favoritism. Can I just tell you that sometimes it'd be really good to get some feedback from you. Just, maybe just once. If someone, someone could say amen, start a clap, or just something. Because sometimes, sometimes when you just sit there, I think, I may be alone next week. So James goes on in verse 6. He says, and we're going to go through these quickly because we're out of time. But read it on your own. He says, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? And are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. In other words, he says, look, it's pretty simple. When you run into a person or a category or whatever that you tend to judge or steer away from, James says, here's the easy solution. Just love them in the same way that you want to be loved. Verse 9. He says, but if you show favoritism, you sin... And are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. James says this. Hey, this isn't a let's just do a little bit better topic. This isn't a let's just polish this up and we're going to be okay. James says, I got to be honest with you. When you begin to divide up the body, who's in, who's out. When you begin to show favoritism, it's a sin issue. That God says, I hate what you're doing. He says, every time you prefer one person over another, you're sinning. Splitting up the body is a sin issue. Then he goes on, verse 12, he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, hey, remember one day we're all going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account for this. Verse 13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then James takes all of this hard statement. He takes a very difficult subject and he wraps it up with four words that changes everything. He says, believers in in our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, if you want, thank you, thank you. He says, if you want a solution to the problem that I've just addressed, If you want a solution of what will keep the church from breaking ourselves up and prejudice and racism and whatever else you favoritism, what will keep the church from doing that is this phrase, this understanding, and living by this, that mercy triumphs over judgment every time. One of the the, the book I'm reading, matter of fact, if, if you want to, um, if, I told you before, but if you want to engage in some leadership conversation, first, I got a leadership group. But beyond that, um, I'm going to start doing meetings at uh, Panera. One of the things I'd like to meet with some people just on the book that I'm reading. And if you're interested, we can just have a conversation on it. You just need to sign up in the bulletin and I'll text you and say I'm going to be there uh, you know, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock and you know, whoever comes, comes. 
One of the things that the, the book, this book that I'm reading said, it should be the church that's on the leading edge of dismantling racism. And sadly, they said, but the church has been promoting it indirectly because of all of our pockets of churches that we have. It's known as the uh, homogeneous unit principle. We're, you know, black churches and Hispanic churches. And yet, when you really begin to look through biblical texts, it's like, that's not really what they had. And so, James leaves us with a thought. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you think in your life, How might those four words have changed something in your life? How would those words affect your marriage today? How might they have saved a relationship or saved a friendship? How might they have avoided years of harboring bitterness or anger? How might those words affect you today? Now look, We're discussing this because we're taking a jump and we will have people who will enter our church who will be in different life circumstances than what you might be in. Typically they say 30 to 40% jump when a church becomes visible. You know, the only visibility we have are some signs out in a trailer. 30 to 40% jump in visibility when a church becomes visible and, and moves into a location. Hey, How we respond to people coming into our church will determine whether they stay at our church. And what is at stake is will they find the the church of the living God to be a church that embraces them, welcomes them, allows them to belong possibly even before they believe or even before they behave? Or will it just be a church coming in that will have its predefined walls, barriers that no one can permeate. I'm challenging us because what we're stepping into, we're going to need a base of people who are prepared to field the people that God are going to send. And I'm hoping you're that group of people. It's why we need people who are going to step into greater forms of leadership. People who are going to step up into uh, creativity. I had someone contact me just the other uh, two weeks ago who had this fantastic idea for the church. I loved it. Like, yeah, we, we, that we have to do. I had a couple people talk to me about things like that. And so James says, hey, reveal. You're going into a new season. He says, can I leave you with four words? Mercy triumphs over judgment and if you do that you'll avoid favoritism you'll bust out of racism you will be an extraordinary church that represents what Jesus came to establish pulling all the differences together to make a new humanity that is his church it's our challenge moving forward and it's one that I am flipping exciting about, excited about. All right. So I fed you physically, hopefully spiritually. I want us to just take a moment and see how God might speak to us about uh, 
the topic today. And some, I, I get it. Listen, some of these issues are front and center in our news right now. Especially with things of immigration and such like that. I mean, I, I, I get it. Some of these are difficult topics. How do you balance? What does that look like? I'll share you, with you my thoughts in the future. But for now, let's just allow the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us. When you speak to each one of us, so how this message applies. Maybe for some, we need to embrace that final phrase, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Maybe for some, they're making a commitment now saying, I will be the one to gather people together. I'll be the one that goes to people that others are avoiding. I will make it my mission as part of this church to represent that new humanity that Jesus came to establish. Maybe for some there needs to be a little repentance. Lord, would you prepare us for our future. We do not do this to make a lateral move. We do this believing that time is short. And the message of Jesus needs to be told. And that a dynamic church needs to be established. In the El Mirage Surprise community. And we want to take that step and be that extraordinary church, that extraordinary church. That word would spread that you can find Jesus at Reveal Church. And that the word would spread that the people in that church represent Jesus. Not just in what they say, but in what they do and how they live. Continue to prepare us for all that you would have for us in the future. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Before you go, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. And if you'd like prayer, we'll have some people who'd love to pray for you. Hey, if something, listen, if you picked up an offense today, I want you to come and talk to me. Don't let anything, the enemy, start to stir and, you know, whisper, right? I talked about that a couple weeks ago. The enemy's going to look for ways to divide and to get you upset because of what we're moving into. So if anything I'm saying, my door's always open. I'm a nice guy, all right? Uh, don't forget, please pick up some letters here. Pick as many as you want. Send them off to friends and family. Make sure you get our email blast so you'll get the block of that email. And uh, we'll continue to step forward uh, into what God has for us next week. I'll share with you where our pledges came in at. And it will be the Super Bowl service. You're going to have a great time. Don't be late next week. God bless you.